You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, and the book of Joshua is where we're going to start out today. Now, uh, to start the message off today, I want to kind of harken back to June 12th, 1987. Uh, how many of you were alive then, by the way, June 12, 1987? Uh, I am so blessed when I look around our church, every service, we've got a lot of young folks, amen? And isn't that a blessing? And uh, for them, I guess 1987 sounds like a long time ago. But on June 12, 1987, uh, at the Brandenburg Gate, uh, President Ronald Reagan uh, gave a famous speech uh, there. And, of course, there was a wall that separated uh, East Berlin from West Berlin. One side was communist controlled, uh, and believe me, the people wanted out of that country. <laughs> Amen. Uh, people want out of communist countries, people. Uh, it's a disaster, but they wanted out, but there was a, blaw, a wall that was blocking their way. And so Ronald Reagan was, was scheduled to give a speech there. The cool thing is, is when you study the background, uh, there was a statement, there's a phrase in that speech that he was told not to say because they thought it would be too inflammatory. They said, just leave that part out of your speech. But in the mi middle of his speech, all of a sudden, he looked up and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And I want to preach this morning on tear down this wall. Tear down this wall is what I want to try to preach on just for a little bit this morning. And uh, in Joshua uh, chapter number 6, I want to get, begin by reading the first two verses this morning. The Bible says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. I want to just back up just a moment to give you a little bit of background about what was going on leading up to this passage uh, many of you perhaps are familiar about the children of Israel and how that they were slaves in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. God brought them up out of the land of Egypt, brought them across the desert, and uh, they spent 40 years there. There was a whole generation that had to die off before this uh, new generation could come into uh, what's called Canaan's land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. This is the land that God promised to them. And the application I want to make to you with you today is this, that just as Israel, the nation of Israel was created uniquely, they were created for a divine purpose, God had a plan for them. And in this verse, what I kind of emphasized in the verse there, if you notice up on the screen, it says, uh, the Lord said unto Joshua. So they have the word of God, and he also says this, I have given into thine hand. I have given you this land. See, God created them special and had a plan for their life. But here's what I want to say today, that to the application to us today, God has created each of you uniquely. God has created each of you uniquely. God has placed each one of you on this earth for a divine purpose and with a divine calling. It is, it is not exaggerating to say that you are truly a special, an extraordinary person with a special purpose. Today, I want you to understand that it is scripturally speaking that God has made you to be a winner. God's made you to be a winner. God, See, Jesus, I like what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He says, I am come that they might have life 
and that they might have it more abundantly. And so Jesus came, number one, the purpose for your life is for you to know Christ as your Savior. That's, God's not willing that any should perish. But then also, God not, not only wants you to have eternal life, I've come that they might have life, but He says, I want you to have abundant life, overflowing life. I mean, full life, successful life. This is the life. Just as God prepared a physical land for the nation of Israel, God has prepared a spiritual land for you and I this morning. Every one of us, every one of us have an abundant life that God has promised to us, that God wants us to have. And the first part of this um, is receiving life, admitting that you're a sinner and your need for Him, but then receiving His gracious love and forgiveness. See, God proclaims and promises this for your life. But here's the thing that you need to understand, that as a child of God, God promises you some things. He promises you that you've been accepted in the beloved. He's promised us that we are more than conquerors. I mean, uh, Hooper uh, Nikeo, we are super conquerors. When you're saved by God's grace, that's what God promises to us. So we have all these great promises that God gives to us. But we also will need to understand a very important principle in Scripture and in our lives. We have a promise from God. Just like they had a promise from God. But between, so we got a promise from God, and then we have the fulfillment of that promise. We have God's promise, and then we have God's provision where He's going to supply that need. But always, in between God's promise and between God's provision, there is a problem. Now, I've been able to obtain some rare footage uh, of Joshua's actual encounter with the wall of Jericho. And it reminds me, and here we go, just kind of watch them, they're going along, just everything's good, they're in the promised land, and then all of a sudden, hey, let's go, and then whack, right into a wall, right into Jericho. All right? And I use that as an illustration because, uh, and, and that's... Uh, you know, it's surprisingly good uh, graphics for being so long ago, but, uh, but that's kind of how it happens. It's like, okay, man, we've got God's promise. We're going along. And then all of a sudden, whack, into a problem you run. And so as we consider that this morning, I want to uh, think about uh, the problem here today, the problem that they had. Now, the problem, as we're going to see here, is the city of Jericho, ancient Jericho. My question today is this, and so this is the city that was between them. It was a huge city, and it was a walled city. It was a double-walled city. This city, this ancient city, number one, it was one of the most ancient cities around. It's known to be one of the first walled cities. And it didn't just have one wall, it had two walls. And, uh, well, my clicker's not working. Am I going the wrong way? Okay, so much for that. Uh, okay, yeah, so this kind of gives you a, uh, a little bit of an idea uh, that archaeologists back in the 50s discovered kind of the way the walls were built, uh, the earthen, blah, 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 stacked up. The point is, these were not walls that were easy to get over. And so there's this great problem, there's this obstacle. So my question today is this, what stands between you and the abundant life? What stands between you and success this morning? What is it that's blocking your way? 
Is it, is, see, Jericho, this wall, it's a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. One that's been there. See, for the, the, the things that we face can be a few different ways. So for one thing, when we're coming up and we're trying to progress and we're trying to get where God wants us to be and we believe that this is God's will for our life and we're saying, okay, this is what God's called me to do. This is the place that God has called me to go. And we start going and just like Larry there, just like Joshua, we run into a wall. See, but there's some interesting things about that wall. Number one, it seems insurmountable. You come to it and you think, oh, well, I need to get to the other side, but there's something blocking me. So we think about it being an insurmountable obstacle like Jericho. One, a problem that's been there like Jericho for a really long time. See, it's been a hindrance, Jericho, that no one has overcome and most have given up trying. People knew you couldn't get over those walls. You could not get through this city. Uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a giant. Maybe it's a person or a problem that is much bigger than you. See, we all have, every one of us, and I want you to understand as I emphasize this once again, this message today is to every one of you because we all have a life that God wants us to live. We all have a blessing that God wants us to inherit, an abundant life He wants us to have. But I promise you another thing, we all have an obstacle in the way. Maybe many obstacles. Uh, we all have these barriers. See, and here's the sad thing. Most people give up. Most people come to this problem and say, well, maybe this wasn't the way I should go after all. Most people end up settling, settling, settling for an existence under the shadows of these walls that stand in their way. Now, I find this interesting. When we think about these obstacles, there's always an excuse for not living the abundant life. Forty years earlier, many of you will remember that as they were about to go into Canaan's land, they sent 12 spies over there. And 10 of those of the 12 came back and they said man it does look awesome that life does look out like a life that we should live but what was their excuse then there's giants in the land there's giants in the land there's these big old problems that we, there's no way we can take these on there's no way we can obtain victory over these guys and and and, and what they said was we're like grasshoppers in their sight and in our own sight See, they, in other words, there's always an excuse. And I'm telling you, do not be a person that settles for excuses. I want you to understand something today. You are not, or you should not be, a product of your circumstances. If you are, you don't have to be. See, we live in a culture to where they try to make people victims. Everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody wants to out-victim the other victim. In fact, it's, it's to the point today to where they're even telling people just because of your background, just because of your race, that you're always going to be a victim. There are millionaires, there's billionaires in this country that are still considered victims because of the color of their skin. They still consider themselves that way. See, but circumstances, we, we should not be... a. a of our circumstances, folks, we're products of our decisions. 
See, here's the thing about it. Those obstacles that stand in our way, whatever it is that's hindering you from getting a hold and getting where God wants you to be as a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, those obstacles are big. These walls were big. The giants were big. But listen to me this morning, and I'm not going to argue with you that your problem's not big. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy to get past maybe some of the abuse that you suffered earlier in your life. I'm not telling you that those walls aren't there. I'm not telling you the fact that you've been told that you're not going to amount to anything and the, that, that you're a loser, that you're ugly, that you're whatever else. I'm not going to tell you that those aren't going to be hard to overcome. I'm not going to tell you that whatever limitations you may have are going to be easy to overcome. I'm not going to tell you that the family issues that you're facing are going to be easy to overcome. Don't misunderstand me this morning. They're big. They're uh, formidable. <laughs> but I want you to know something right now, church. God is bigger. <laughs> My God is so much bigger than these giants. God is so much bigger than the walls. Listen, we must stop making excuses. So I ask you this morning, what is your Jericho? It could be a family problem, a financial problem. It could be an unhappy marriage. It could be an unholy life. It could be an unhealthy body, unfulfilled dreams. But listen, you do not have to settle for defeat. You were created to win. You were created to succeed. And so we have a problem. Now, there's the interesting thing about this problem. When we consider uh, Jericho, uh, space bar, I guess. I don't know what's going on with my clicker, but... Uh, uh, when we consider Jericho, this is the way that we're going to overcome these walls. Now, through this, uh, through this presentation right here, now, what you see is that uh, here, over here is Jericho. You see it? Yeah, there we go. My green pointer probably nobody can see because of the light. Now, right here, you see that river going up and down through there? It don't show all the way. The western border of Canaan's land is about 117 miles long. Now let me ask you something. What do you see between Gilgal and the top of that screen right there, that map? Not a whole lot. I'll tell you one thing you do not see. You don't see Jericho there. You ever thought about that? <laughs> so we see the problem, but notice the path. Do you want to know an issue that I kind of can have? What? Couldn't God have just let them cross up here somewhere? There's 117 miles of border here, people. Why does God bring them to Jericho? Why does this? You know, do you ever ask that question? God, why am I coming face to face with this? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, see, they were following God, and God led them right to perhaps the most impregnable city of the ancient world. Not only of Canaan, but of the entire ancient world, Jericho. That's where God led them right to. See, the Lord, see, because the thing is, is that God knows the path of success. See, we want the easy path. There's a lot of people that come into church. There's a lot of people that decide, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord until it gets hard. 
There's a lot of people that decide, you know what, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be a man in my home until it gets challenging. You know, I'm going to be a woman that pleases God. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to take a stand in school. But when they're not there saying, Whoo, boy, thank you so much for standing for the Lord. Thank you so much for not partaking of our dirty jokes. Thank you so much for walking away from our filthy music. By the way, I got a question to some parents. I really do. I was thinking about this. Uh, that we, the, the kids were out in a public place where there was a, a large gathering of kids in the community. <laughs> and I was so tempted just to post on our uh, community chat page, uh, hey, just want you to know that there was, a, there was a man up at the gathering today that was speaking many uh, expletives to your children. He was talking about beating women, raping women. To your children, your elementary age children. He's talking about all the, a lot of these other things. Doing drugs and drinking and whatnot. To your children. Through the music they're listening to. Through the music that you permit. Amen. But see, you're not going to be applauded when you say, no, that's not me. That's not what I'm into. That doesn't glorify God, therefore, not interested. Not interested. So, young person, what are you going to do then? What are you going to do, young person, when you get encouraged when you're around a group of young people about your purity? I'm going to stay pure until marriage. Or if you've messed up, I'm going to stay pure from this point on. You know, well, that's easy to say when you've got a lot of other people that are agreeing with that. But what about when you get to school and you start getting made fun of about it? Oh, you're a virgin. You know, and I mean, and just making fun and doing all this poking and everything. I do like what one girl said one time. She, she looked at a group of girls that was trying to poke fun of her about being a virgin, and she looked over at them and she said this. She said, she said, what you are, I could be any day. But what I am, you can never become. Ain't that right? And I mean, and here's what I'm just trying to say. It's easy until God leads you right to Jericho. So let me hasten here. Let me try to hurry. But, but the point I'm trying to make is the path we want to follow is the path of least resistance. But if we follow God, He's going to follow, lead us to Jericho. See, because the path of an overcomer, the path of success is a difficult path. Somebody said that success is hard work. Jericho would be the first of many battles and perhaps the most significant. See, God brings us to Jericho. Listen to this closely now. This is a big city. That's a big obstacle. Uh, those giants that they were going to face were big obstacles. God brings us to these obstacles to help us overcome perhaps our greatest obstacles. Okay? And you know what that is? The greatest obstacle of self. The greatest ob obstacle of pride and of unbelief. I want to give you these two obstacles that we're going to see in this passage in just a moment. Two of our greatest obstacles. Number one, we come to our Jericho and we, here's an obstacle, I can't do this. Anybody ever feel like that? Does anybody in desperation ever feel like, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is greater than me. I can't do this. Here's the second one. I can't do that. I can't do that because in a moment, spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, God's got a plan for them in a little bit. 
And his plan seems utterly ridiculous. His plan, if it came from anybody else, seems stupid. If it come from anybody else. But it's what God said to do. So here's, what, here's the obstacles that we face. We come up against something, whatever it is. And that's not the biggest obstacle. Our biggest obstacle is faith. Do we believe that God will get us through? Do we believe that God will make a way and, and, and fulfill His promise to us? Are we willing, when God tells us to do something that seems ridiculous, that does not make sense? You say, will God ever do that? Well, we'll see just about that in just a moment. Now, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, verse 30, by faith. How did the walls of Jericho came down, come down? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. See, faith activates God's omnipotence. By faith, that's how these walls came down. You see, what? so we're going to learn a little bit. Joshua serves as an example of faith in action. So again, do you have these obstacles? Do you have something blocking you from becoming all that God would have you to be? I'll tell you that you do. Hopefully you just haven't given up and saying, well, I guess I'm just not going to go anywhere now because that's too hard. That obstacle's still there. I'm going to encourage you to quit making excuses, get up and take it on by the help and grace of God because as we're going to see, by faith, they had God's promise. So quickly, I want to give you just a few things how Joshua serves as an example of faith. Number one, go back to Joshua 5 and look at verses 13 through 15. We see some things about faith. The first thing we see is the worship of faith. The Bible says in verse 13 of Joshua 5, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Now, again, what's he looking at to start with? He's looking at that city that we just talked about. But then the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him, his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? See, this was a very uh, uh, amazing presence. There was something about this man to where he wanted to say, Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And here was his answer. Whose side are you on? Are you for us or our enemies? Look at verse 14. And he said, Nay. Which just simply means No. Well, that's not the answer that he was looking for, amen? No. Whose side are you on? No. But as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And that's what the Bible says. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose the shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Folks, this is an Old Testament appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua, what did he do? See, you know what a lot of us are doing right now? We're standing there looking at our Jericho. We're standing there looking at our walls. How's it going? Somebody may ask us. Man, the walls are big. Things were going good. I made it across the wilderness. I, I made it over the, the Jordan River. But now, and, and, and all they can see, but see, Joshua turned. 
And he quit looking at the problem, and he started looking at Jesus. <laughs> Amen? So we see the worship of faith. Uh, uh, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus in the book of Hebrews, the author and the finisher of our faith. We need to get our eyes on Jesus Christ, number one. He put his eyes on Jesus. Faith builds us up. Faith, Our faith will build as we worship. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This is one of my favorite principles, uh, practically speaking, when it comes to our worship of God. You know what a lot of people can do? You know what a lot of us do? We magnify Jericho. We talk about how big our problems are. Those ten spies we talked about earlier, they talked about how big those giants were. And let me tell you, they were big and they were strong and they had weapons and, and man alive, you know, they just go on and on. What were they doing? They were magnifying the giants. See, a lot of us, if we're not careful, we will magnify our problems. We will magnify our obstacles. Now, it's not that those obstacles aren't there. I've already said that. But you know what we need to learn to do? Magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We need to say, you know what? Yes, those walls are big, but my God is bigger. Amen. Hallelujah. Those giants are big. See, there was a worship there. He fell down on his face. He submitted. See, the thing about Joshua, going all the way back 40 years ago, has been an example of faith. He saw Jesus, not the giants. Uh, listen, he, the, the ten spies worried while Joshua worshipped. Now listen, things weren't necessarily looking real good at this moment. Joshua didn't know exactly how things were going to turn out, but he worshipped anyway. He wasn't worried, he was worshipping, amen? And I'm telling you, as God's people, we need to learn to worship our God. Good times, bad times, it don't matter. Why? Because our God's always good. Our God's always in control. So we can always bow down before Him. We can always lift up our hands to Him. I love what Jesus said uh, in the book of Luke. I believe it's chapter 10, verse 10. But the disciples are returning. And man, they were so excited because they had the power to cast out demons. And man, they were rejoicing, you know, and they were just talking over each other. Man, did you see that one that I cast out? And man, they were just so excited. But Jesus looks over at them and he says this. He says, rejoice not because the, the, the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know what Jesus was trying to teach them? He says, don't let circumstances be the basis of your rejoicing. Amen. See, your name's written in heaven as something if you're saved doesn't ever change. You know what that means? You're always on shouting ground. Amen. Hey, you're always in a place where you can worship. See, we don't need to let our lives be dictated by circumstances. You know, we have that old saying, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances. Well, get out from under the circumstances. That's not where God wants us to live, amen. We can live above the circumstances. So often, man, we do it. I try to catch myself with it, but we do it so often. We'll say, man, this thing had one uh, way or the other, but, I, but, you know, thank the Lord that it went this way. Well, that's good, but what if it went the other way? Can we not praise God then? I can praise God I had a good doctor's report. What if you had a bad doctor's report? Guess what you can still do? You can still worship the Lord. Why? Because He's the one in control. 
He's the one in control. He's the one that led them to Jericho. He's the one that led them to this obstacle. And I'm telling you, why does he do it? Again, I said, because he's trying to do something. He's trying to help us be the conquerors that he would have us to be. And so there's the worship of faith. See, uh, as, as we think about this, think about what Joshua, instead of worrying, Joshua worship. When Joshua, back 40 years ago, he did it in, the, in this text too, but Joshua spread courage to others. The ten spies spread fear and doubt. What kind of person are you? Are you the type of person that inspires courage? Uh, are you the type of person that makes people fear and makes people doubt? See, I mean, Joshua was a man of faith. Joshua believed the scripture. The spies believed sight. Which do you believe? Now, there's not too many Christians among us that would say, Oh, I believe sight over scripture any day. There's not too many of us that would admit that, but our lives testify to that. Our worry, our defeat, our uh, being overcome rather than being overcomers testify to the fact that we believe in sight rather than the Scriptures. See, Joshua made a difference. Can any of you tell me the name of some of the ten spies? One of the ten spies? I'm hoping Kurt doesn't speak up, but even... Uh, but the point is, you can't. How many of you are named after one of the ten spies or know somebody named after one of those ten spies? Nobody. You do? Okay. Those are, that's one of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb. And that makes the point. Which ones do we know? We know the two that believed God. We know the two boys that were courageous. That believed God. See, in courageous, it's not about, you know, I mean, it's, it's not about us. It's not about, you can be naturally timid, but be made courageous, amen. Because the Bible says God's not given us the spirit of fear, of cowardice. And so there's the worship of faith. We need to learn this. You ready? We need to learn to glance at our problems and gaze at Him. If you're worried today, you want to know why? You're gazing at your problems and you're glancing at Him. But we need to learn to gaze at Him and glance at our problems. Man, I'm telling you, listen, when, when we compare whatever we have to go through in our lives, I mean, I, mean, I, I think about the, the, the worship of faith. But I think about quickly also the walk of faith. Notice this uh, in chapter 5 again, verse 14. What he said there, it talks about him bowing down to worship. What did he do? He says, I'm not on anybody's side. He says, I didn't come to take sides. He's come to take over. See, there's, there's, there's a theological misrepresentation in the day and age in which we live, and there's this idea of how you can get God on your side. That's what a lot of this uh, you know, modern stuff is built on a lot of times. But, but I want to tell you something. It's not about getting God on our side. You know what God says to that? No. He says, I didn't come to take sides, I come to take over. See, since he's Lord, what he's saying in essence is this, you probably ought to get on my side. Amen. Get on the Lord's side. So the Lord will be on our side in a sense if we learn to get on his side. But we are not the ones who dictate the terms. We are not the ones who dictate the terms. He is the Lord. So we see the walk of faith. Now I want to say this, we see the what of faith. The what of faith. The what of faith, all right? Listen, verses 3 through 5. Now I showed you the city. 
I showed you this insurmountable obstacle. Now, God has a plan. So now, listen, this is where the point where some people can be. Okay, preacher, I believe you. I'm starting to believe you. God can help me overcome this. You know what? I believe, remember the two, there are two obstacles? I can't overcome that, or I can't do this, and I certainly can't do that. But now, maybe you're getting to the point where, you know what? I can do that with God's help. Maybe I can overcome these things I faced in my life. Then God drops this on you. Okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Joshua 6, uh, notice what the Bible says in uh, verses, uh, verses 3 through 5. And you, sh and, and you shall compass the city, all ye men of war. Sounding good. Men of war surrounding the city. And go round about the city once. Okay, with you, Lord. Thus shalt thou do six days. Wait, uh, what? Okay. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So now God's got a plan for you. Build these great ladders and we'll, come, we'll put the ladders on the wall or besiege the city or, or uh, whatever else it's going to be. But God says, no, 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 get all the men of war and walk around the city today and then head back to camp. Tomorrow, go walk around the city again. The next day, until six days, they do that every day. How do you think that feels? How do you think, oh, uh, was, it, uh, was it Naaman? Was, uh, was he the Assyrian that the, that the Lord uh, that wanted to be healed of his leprosy? And he came to Elijah and he says, hey, I heard you could heal me of my leprosy. Elijah didn't even come out and look at the man. He didn't, even, he didn't bother to come out of his house. This, his house. This man was a general of one of the greatest empires on the earth. He wouldn't so much as come out of his house. And he just he sent his servant to go tell uh, this man, Naaman, he says, go wash, go dip yourself in the river Jordan seven times. He didn't say, okie dokie then. You know what he said? That's ridiculous. Assyria has beautiful, clear rivers. But you want me to go dip myself in the, in the Jordan River seven times? the muddy, dirty, nasty Jordan River. And he says this. You know what he says? Here's our expectations. He says, I thought he would come up and speak a word over me. Maybe put his hands on me. You know, do something kind of ceremonial or something. But he says, no, no, no. You need to go take off all your shiny armor and get your rear end down in the Jordan River and dip seven times. Thankfully, this man did that, and he's with his whole army. He is the, he's the man. He's the general. Just think of one of the greatest people you know. He has to take that armor off, go down in that river, and dip himself seven times. One. Oh, this is stupid. Two. Are y'all laughing up there? Three. Man, this water's gross. I'm, you know? But he does it until seven times. Same thing here. God asked them to do something. That's, you want me to do what? 
So I'll talk about the worship of faith, the walk of faith, and then the what of faith. The what? The do what now of faith? See, it's hard to get past God asking us to do something that seems foolish. And by the way, I asked the question earlier, does God ask us to do things that seem foolish to us? <laughs> Think about this in the Bible. Paradoxes. There's been whole books written on the paradox of the Bible, the paradoxes of the Bible. You know the way up according to God? Down. You know, you know the way Jesus said you'll find life? Anybody? Lose it. He said, you, you know what Jesus said? You know the way you're going to live? If you die to yourself. Hey, how about this one? You know the way you're going to learn to get? You know how you're going to get? Give. Amen. I mean, I can remember, I can remember with that one. In other words, God's asked us to do these things. It's like, what now? See, we want to hear something else. We don't want to hear these things. We want to hear something that makes more sense to us. But can you get past that? Can you obey without an explanation? Can you obey God even though you don't fully understand what God's telling you to do? We do it with doctors, don't we? Or at least some people do. We don't understand all what they're saying, but we'll follow what they say. Some people will. But listen, how much more with God? God asked us to do something. I can remember when we were, when we were newly married, uh, for one thing, my wife and I were both raised by American standards, I'll be sure to emphasize, fairly poor. We got married, man, I'm telling you, we didn't have a whole lot. Uh, I was working, but uh, I've explained to this before, I won't go into it in great detail. I was getting paid on commission, uh, installing heat and air conditioning, but man, it turned into these days to where it was like 75 every day, 60 every night, and let me tell you something about people, about buying heat and air conditioning. People just do not buy heat and air conditioning when it's mild. They just don't do it. They wait till it's burning hot or freezing to where they, okay, now I guess I got to do it. So literally, I'm bringing home like, I'm, there's some weeks I'm not even bringing home a hundred bucks. I'm working. We don't have that much work. And so, but I've got to pay the bills. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a car to pay for. I've got power bill to pay. I've got a car to hide from the repossession man. I got a wrench to turn the water back on when the city turns it off because I needed all those things. <laughs> but at the same time, God says this, Jesse, don't forget to give to me first. <laughs> Lord, that don't make any sense. But you know what God says? You do it. And you know what? By God's grace, I did it through those tough times. And you know what I began to see? All of a sudden, it didn't add up, but I would give to God first, and all of a sudden, the Lord would take care of those other things. Amen? That doesn't make sense. But God tells us to do these things. See, it's not about understanding. It's, it's about trusting, believing, and obeying. See, we must learn to see. The Bible says this. We've got to see unseen things. We've got to conquer by yielding. The Bible says, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, take my burden on you, and you'll find rest. He said, we reign by serving. We're made great by becoming small. We're exalted when we become humble. And I could go on and on and on. My point is this. What do you do when God's Word instructs you to do something that's contrary to something that makes sense for you? What do you do when God instructs you to forgive? See, your greatest obstacle is not perhaps what you thought it was earlier. Your greatest obstacle really is faith. Are you going to believe God or not? And here's the thing about a belief. You know how you can know that you believe God? 
You're obeying God. You're obeying God. You're doing so. Your greatest obstacle, their greatest obstacle wasn't Jericho. Their greatest obstacle was can they believe that God can take the city? Can they obey something that seems ridiculous? That's your obstacle. I've known people, they think it seems ridiculous to forgive those that's done them wrong. Are you serious? Obviously, they'll say this, you don't know what they did to me. But let me just help you to phrase that a little. You need to say, you know, what you're really saying is, God does not know what those people did to me. God does not know. I know. See, because what we find out is with where, where, where our worries and where our, you, know what you want to know the heart of our lack of faith is pride? You want to know what's at the heart of your worry and your anxiety? It's pride. Why? Because you can't trust it to God. You've got to have control. You've got to call the shots. This doesn't make sense to me, God. And we try to, we try to make God's word an exception to us. And we say, sure, that's fine for everybody else, but not for us. But God told these people, go walk around that city. And so the what of faith? All right, and I'll give this to you quickly. The weight of faith? They had to wait six days, verses 14 and 15. But I want to give you this last one, the winning of faith. The winning of faith. Notice what the Bible says in verse 16 of chapter 6 of Joshua. It says, And it came to pass at the, that's the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpet, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. You, know, you want to know something about, interesting about this passage? The city was still standing. The walls were still there. It's possible that the inhabitants of Jericho were still laughing and mocking these people. Okay? The walls were still there. But what did he say? He did not say. Shout, because God's going to give you the city. No, 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 no. You read it what it says. It says, God hath given you the city. It's yours. Shout. You know what way to... See, we're never going to conquer... We're never going to succeed. We're never going to live the abundant Christian life if we wait around for the results before we shout. We're never going to succeed if we wait around till things go good and then we worship. You know what we need to do? We need to worship right now. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. Thank you that you're good. Amen. Praise Him. And, I mean, listen, and so that, that, that's it, the, the, the winning of faith. Now, how, where does the winning of faith come from? And this is the last point that I'm going to give you. Give me just a, a few moments. The winning of faith starts with the word of faith. Now, you listen closely to this because there's people that twist what the word of faith really means. The winning of faith starts with the word of faith. What's the word of faith? Well, we read verse 16, but notice again what it said in verse 2 of Joshua 6. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. I've given it to you. It's in your hand. Joshua could look down and say, Well, no, it's over there with those big walls around it. But he didn't say that. He said, Okay, Lord, I can see it. Uh, I, I, th I thought this was a great thing when, when Walt Disney built uh, Disney World um, in uh, Orlando. And he died before the grand opening. And uh, at the grand opening, one of uh, Miss Disney's friends looked over at her, and she's just like, boy, she, or she didn't say, boy, she said, I sure wish that Walt could have seen this. You know what Mrs. Disney said? She said, oh, he did. He did. 
He saw it in his hand already. Amen? And that's what Joshua did. I see it. Why? Because God said it. The word of faith is seeing it because God said it. I'll say that again and I'll emphasize something there. The word of faith is seeing it because God said it. Uh, the, the word of faith comes from the word of God. It's not just about imagining what we want and saying the word and God like a genie grants our wishes. There's whole churches and ministries built on that now. You just say it and God's going to do it. You just rub the old bottle and God will come out and, you know, say, I'll grant to thee three wishes, Master. Folks, that's not the word of faith. That's the word of fake, amen? That's garbage is what that is. I mean, listen, uh, the, the word of faith. God, see, what did Joshua say in Joshua chapter 5? He said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You know the attitude of many modern Christians? We go to God and say, listen, Lord, for thy servant speaketh. Right? But, God, but, but listen, the word of faith says, God said it, therefore I believe it, all right? And so uh, notice this, uh, Romans 10, 17. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can only believe God for something that already is. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I've already given you the city. You already are a conqueror. You already are all these things that God promises and tells us that we are. You are that. You can only believe, you can only have faith in what God's already brought to pass, even though we may not have seen it yet. See, this had already been done. Joshua just said what the Lord already said, and that's what the word of faith really is. God must speak before we have faith. Faith is your obedience to what God has said. Joshua worshiped, he walked, he waited, he worked, and therefore he was able to win. See, you don't just go win. I said earlier, God wants you to be a winner. You are a winner. But I'm telling you, you need to learn to worship. You need to learn to walk. You need to learn to work. You need to learn to wait. You need to be able to, instead of saying, what? You need to say, yes, Lord. Just like Peter, you know, he said, nay, Lord. No, Lord. That doesn't work, does it? I mean, listen, so, so, some people I've known have been in business and said, yep, God's my business partner. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to work too well. Uh, back when I was a kid, there used to be a lot of people that said, God's my co-pilot. <laughs> no. God don't sit in the co-pilot's chair, amen? God is not the co-chair. He's the Lord, amen? He's the boss, hallelujah. All right, and so uh, the word of faith is doing what he said. See, too often we have the attitude and the approach that says, listen, instead of asking that approach, Lord, speak, and I will hear now. Notice Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. This illustrates the word of faith. Notice what he says there. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This is an important principle right here. This is the word of faith, folks. This is winning. For he hath said, therefore I can boldly say. He hath said, therefore I can boldly say. He hath said, for instance, he hath said, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know what I can rejoice therefore in? That God wants to save everybody. Amen? And I can look at anybody, and, and listen, by, in my own mind, I'm able to think, how could God save and forgive somebody like that? But what happens over time is you let your mind be affected so much by the mind of Christ, you just believe it, man. God wants to save you. God wants to use you. 
You've got a purpose. You mean something. You matter. All that could mean nothing unless God said it, and he does say it. And so, uh, so let, God says, therefore we may boldly say. Uh, now notice this. Faith is saying with boldness what God's already said. How could Joshua be so bold? Shout, for God's given you the city, because God said it already. I'm going to close with this example. There's many examples. But just imagine this, a person that's haunted by the ghost of guilt. Perhaps having committed an awful sin, and this sin has been etched upon the consciousness of this individual. It reverberates through the mind, and it thunders in the soul. It weighs upon them night and day. But then this person reads John 1, 7. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in John 1, 7 that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. He goes on to read the next verse. He goes on to read uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. Somebody can say, oh man, because of my sin, because of all that I've done, how could God ever love me? But the Bible says, God said, God commendeth His love toward us, proved His love, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to read in Romans chapter number 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then he goes on to read another verse, verse 13 of the same chapter, that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, this is the word of faith. So what does this man now do? Since he has the word of God, he says, Okay, Lord, here's what you said. I'm going to act on what you said. You said I can be forgiven. Therefore, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. You said my wretched sin that I live with day and night. You said the guilt that I can never seem to get past can be gone. And God, I'm believing you for that. Lord, you said that you would save me if I from my heart would believe and from my heart would call on the Lord. And so you know what that person does? That person says, Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life and be my Savior. You know what they do? They win. Amen. We were joking around having fun yesterday talking about, you know, celebrating when people get saved. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. Uh, somebody says the angels rejoice. I can buy that the angels rejoice. But you know what? I believe Jesus is the one doing the rejoicing. Amen. As well. I believe they're just following his lead. So we talked about like having one of those confetti, confetti cannons or something. You know, every time somebody got say, poof, you know, and out. What do you think about that, Dana? That'd be good. All right. Uh, listen, I mean, so, uh, but uh, <laughs> Dana, Dana graciously helps clean the, or cleans the church. But, but um, Rejoice when somebody gets saved. I wanna, I'm going to close with this last, uh, this last testimony, all right? And I appreciate your patience this morning. I want you to win. I'm passionate about it, and that's why I'm trying to take some time to get it across to you as best as I can. I want you to be saved if you're not saved. And that's why I want to take some time, if I could just have your attention, just for the last few moments to say this. If you do not know for sure that you have accepted Christ as Savior, I want to invite you to do that today. The word of faith, amen. He says you can be saved. Therefore, all you must do is believe and be saved. You say, oh, I believe. No, 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 listen. Believe from the heart. That means you're putting your all on Him. You're totally leaning and depending on Him. The word of faith. One of my, one of my favorite... I'm
so thankful that all four of my kids have trusted Christ as their Savior. I mean, there's, there's no greater joy than to have kids that are saved, that love the Lord. Uh, they're not perfect, uh, almost, but they're not perfect uh, by any means. But man, it blesses my heart that they're saved and that they have a heart for the Lord and they're trying but, uh, but I, remember, I remember each of their conversions, amen, and I'm thankful and think about each of them being saved. But Hannah's testimony of salvation kind of reminds me of this. The Lord had been working on Hannah's heart for some time. She wasn't sure whether or not she was, you know, she, she knew she needed to be saved, but she was, she was confused, and, and I'm telling you, it was a long process. She would, she would wake Melanie up uh, late at night, and she'd come and said, I had a dream about hell tonight. Hell's a real place, people. And you know what? I never just said, okay, well, say this quick little prayer and it'll all be okay. I said, well, honey, what do you need? What do you need to do? Because what I was trying to do is get her to admit, I need to be saved. Amen. I need to trust Christ because I can't trust Christ for anybody. And let me tell you something, parents. If you have to be the one to answer the question for your kids when they're asked how they trusted Christ, please don't do that. Don't do that. If, I, I know we do it because we love people. I've seen husbands do it for wives. So tell me about how you got saved. Oh, well, she, well, why can't she tell it? Why can't she tell it? Amen. We need to be able to testify about how the Lord saved our souls. But listen, after, after months of this, we were in a, you know, of all places, there was a fellow friend of mine that started a church in Puckwana, South Dakota. Anybody ever been to Puckwana? All right. It's a town of just a, I don't know if there's 100 people in Puckwana. Uh, but, but Puckwana, South Dakota. And you want to know where he started the church at? He bought a house, and that house, brother, had a detached garage. Well, there you go. Amen. He started a church in that detached garage, and uh, Hannah came down. As a matter of fact, I believe she may have been the first person saved in that uh, garage. But at the end of the service, she came down when the invitation was given, like we're going to give in a moment, and H Melanie and I came down and, and prayed with her. And we just said, Hannah, what do you need this, this evening? What, what's going on? And she said, I need to get saved. And we said, well, honey, just call on the Lord. You know what to do. Just ask the Lord to forgive you, to save you. And she prayed right there. And she asked the Lord to save her. How glorious. And then uh, she got done praying. And, and I looked over at her and I said, I said, Hannah, did you call on the Lord? She said, yes. I said, did he save you? I don't know. <laughs> you say, what did you have? I had the word of faith. And I said, Hannah, read this verse right here. Read this verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I said, Hannah, did you call on the Lord? Yes, sir. Amen. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. And listen, please don't ever tell my kids not to call you sir or ma'am. Their mom and daddy told them to do it, so stop it, amen? Let them do it, all right? Um, uh, and, and anyway, yes, sir. I said, did you call on the Lord? Yes, sir. I said, are you saved? She said, yes, sir, amen. Why? The word of faith. Why? Because God said he would, amen? You know, as we all stand this evening, is it evening yet? Have I preached that long? I feel like I have. You say, I do too, amen. But uh, are you saved today? Do you believe the Lord will save you? Because He will. He will. You know what? Some, there's people in here that's got a Jericho. And praise God, there's some others in here. There's, I, I feel like you're probably one way or the other. There's people in here that are saved, that have had to get over the Jericho of doubt. Amen? The Jericho of doubt.
To me, that's one of the very first things you come to as a Christian once you're saved. Doubt. Did I say the right words? You know, you fail after you get saved and you think, man, am I really saved? Am, am I, I don't know if I'm really saved. And there's Christians that will go through the rest of their lives doubting that. You know what? You can get victory over that. You really can. Why? Just by through the word of faith. 